David McKiernan is in the village of Ili Doratu, in the highlands of Ethiopia. I've come here with my uh, nine friends, Bobby, Clinton, Alan, Pat, Donald, Dave, Bird, and Kieran. He's returning to fulfil a promise made when he first visited the village back in 2006. As the jeeps went through all the smaller communities on the way out to this tiny little village, people started walking beside us, and these tracks are very rough. I mean, they're very dangerous roads. And when we got there, there was about six or 700 kids and people around us trying to touch us and to talk to us. And it got emotional because they'd shared everything with us and they have absolutely nothing. But we met the elders over a fireplace and we asked them, um, what would they like us to do outside of buying coffee? Was there anything? Because we were so shocked at this, just this beautiful land, but just nothing there. There was a shed, it was supposed to be a school, but it was like a cow shed, as I would have known in West Clare. Um, the first thing they wanted was water. This is a story about water, coffee, and a mood-altering green leaf called chat. It is a very difficult place to get to. I mean, you, I've been to a lot of coffee farms, but this is this is probably the most inaccessible area coffee community. So they also grow lots of um, small other vegetables, but coffee's the main cash crop. David McKiernan came here to buy coffee. He runs Java Republic, a coffee roasting company in Dublin, that believes in a fair and ethical approach at this end of the business. Four years ago, you, we came to your village and um, you treated us like your family, and we were so welcome to here. We decided uh, we would try and help with the water project. Back in 2006, at the height of the Celtic Tiger, it was easy enough to raise money for a water project in Ethiopia. That turned out to be the easy part. I think we took about three months to organise it, and we did an Iliadratu night. And we raised €148,000 in one night. The problem is um, we have taken three years to put the project together, and without Plan Ireland and a guy called David Dalton, who's married to an Ethiopian, and, and I think his passion for Ethiopia is, 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 is just there... Um, We'd have never got the project. So, you know, in hindsight, you'd say, God, you know, there's an awful lot of money sitting in a bank account for a long, long time. There are issues, just, just to warn you, there are issues over some of the extra pipe work to build this reservoir some of the farmers are fighting over. Um, they want compensation. So we're not in the business of giving compensation. We're in the business of giving them or finishing this project. And we're actually, we're not even in that business because we're not in the business of doing anything like that. We're in the business of making a few bob in Ireland and working in the hospitality industry. But I just want to see this project done and I want to see healthy children is what I want to see. Nobody over, nobody over 50 survives in this town. And that's the whole, that goes for the most of Ethiopia. Fine, I'd just like to say that we haven't talked to the elders since three and a half, four years ago. We'd like to hear how we think the project is working and we would like to listen to see if we could help at any stage in the future. Your coffee, by the way, is, it is absolutely beautiful and it is very famous in our country in Ireland. Uh, we're just so happy to be here and back here in, in your beautiful village. Thank you. Thank you.
The whole village has turned out to welcome the Irish back. The local school teacher has brought along his pistol to let us know the celebrations are about to begin. Welcome to Illidoratum. morning after a long night's dancing and I'm on a coffee farm with the local co-op manager Tedese Mescale. Fresh coffee beans are being dried on a table of wire mesh. About 10,000 people all together live in the village and uh, they all have to travel long distance to get water and there is one Water point which was set by the government, and uh, most of all the people have to to stay in a queue for three, four hours to get water. So it's really very, very difficult. And the main problem here is water. So once they got the, so that solution, it can solve a lot of problems. Tadesse says there are two problems with water over here. Much of what is available is simply not clean, and it's so far away and queues are so long that children, particularly girls, spend all day drawing water, missing out on school as a result. Now this is a coffee picked by hand, and they dried on a wire mesh, in a good condition. So uh, we are selling this coffee to many uh, the coffee buyers, especially David from Java Republic, after he visited last four years with people from Ireland. So this connection we have with the people in Ireland has increased the, the, the sales of our coffees and also the consumption. And because of the support, because of these connections, the Ireland people, so Java Republic, have tried to pull money together to bring us water from 12 kilometers to this village. This is really a big support for this community because the people here have never had clean water for changes. Their ancestors have never had clean water, but now they got the opportunity. By the way, a water project like this one won't get government funding. Ethiopia is one of the poorest countries on earth. And as a donor nation, Ireland already spends about 17 million euros a year here, mostly on emergency food aid. The close trading relationship between the farmers and buyers like David is based on a fair price for high-quality coffee. This is what brought the Irish to Illidoratu. We, we purchased three types of Ethiopian coffee. One is Harar, which is from here. It's probably the most harsh coffee. We, we use it in espresso beans. The other two coffees will be Jäger Chaffee and uh, Sidamo. And we have both coffees will be in our espresso blends. But we buy them through um, the open market. It's, it's, it's controlled. And we buy it uh, through our broker Wakefield in the UK. 
and he contracts it to the farmer. But you know, there's, most of us farmers, I think, own a half a he- half a hectare. And the coffee, if it was planted here and grown on these hills, it would take at least five months to get to uh, Ireland and into our roaster. And who do the brokers buy it from? Who's the next in the chain? Well, in in this is the the untold story about Ethiopian coffee. In, in, in Ethiopia, the government controls the grades of coffee. And it's pretty well done in, in Addis. And there's obviously a lot of the processes of coffee. It has to be cleaned. And the women are always working in the factories. They're getting about 70 cents a day. In our case, the coffee comes through Wakefield. And Wakefield do a contract with, if it was Tedesi's farm, which is Aromia, which is a cooperative, he, they would do a direct deal with them. And they're they're the only cooperative, by the way, in Ethiopia, and the first cooperative and the only cooperative that are allowed by and control their own quality of coffee outside of the government control. And because there's 80,000 farmers, they've turned out to be a, a, an enormous co-op, a very professional co-op, very like our own systems back in uh, when our own co-ops were, were done in the 1900s back in, in Ireland. So uh, Wakefield would do a deal with these guys and they would hope then to sell it on to us in, in, in say, in Dublin. And Wakefield are a, an English-based company, they're one of, the, one of the brokers we use. And how ethical are they as a broker? I think uh, Wakefield are fantastic. I think uh, Simon Wakefield, she travels out to Origin and he sees what's going on. I mean, how ethical is any of them, and including ourselves? I mean, do they do enough? We don't do enough. There's no inflation in coffee. Coffee is at 140 at the moment, around 140 per pound. But the reality is they should be getting out here for the cost of... All of the process, they should be getting 250 280 a, a pound. If I try to sell that in the Irish market with the same margin we're getting now, I wouldn't be in business more than three months. So that's just the commodity. It's just there's too much coffee at the moment. Um, and certain coffees, then there's not enough because of the drought. But the drought is having, is having a huge effect here, and it will wipe out the coffee, the, the amount of coffee in Ethiopia with, with climate change over the next couple of years. So it seems Ilidorato is on the verge of real benefits from fair and ethical trading including support for the water project. A clean water supply will eliminate a daily five-hour trek for water from an existing well 12 kilometres from the village. OK, so describe where we are and what we're doing. So where we are is we're on the side of a road or surrounded by about 30 cows and about 20 donkeys. The women are all carrying these canisters which hold look like about a 10-gallon drum. What we're going to try and do is get in and let, let them try and get into the middle of them and find out. I just want to try and describe how bad the water is. Um, they're giving us a lot of attention because they don't see many white people coming up to them. Now, it's, it's a corral of very high fenced. To stop people, uh, we walk past the person who takes the money and she thinks, I think she takes half a burr. But we're just, we can't understand uh, exactly what they have to pay for it. And now they're milling around at the top. We're going to try and get into the top. This is dangerous because these ladies have been here, and it's only the ladies carrying the water. They've been carrying the water and waiting here for hours, and they're milling at each other to try and fill it. I just don't try and understand how it works. What I see is a, is a, is a, a water bowl. It's actually a cement block. There's one tap on it. It's absolutely chaos here. And it's getting... They're, they're, they're not aggressive towards us. They're fantastic, but they're certainly aggressive towards each other. It's a brass tap, and they're trying to fill the tap. There's absolutely no... Um, there's no management. And they're all trying to take a bit, and they've been pushed out of the way. 
and they're happy people that that noise they're making they're, they're getting very happy and they're, they're delighted to see maybe us I don't know but this is the worst I don't think I've ever seen anything like it I'm just going to try and pick some water in my hand It's chaotic we're surrounded by hundreds of noisy smiling women all jostling for a place near the brass taps at the centre of the corral Actually, it's, just, it's very hard to see it, but it's actually brown. The water's brown when you see it inside. It is actually brown. And that woman, the tall woman, is, is controlling it in her own way, but uh, there must be another tap on the far side. Yeah, there is two taps on it. And <laughs> I, think, I think we should get out of here and let them get their water. The problem with coffee in places like Ethiopia is simply that the price the farmers get is too low. Far more tempting is the price they can get for growing the mood-altering plant, chat. But the... Unfortunately, I've never seen as much chat grown as well because the chat is getting three times the price of coffee. And the damage it's doing to the uh, people, it's, uh, you know, they're out of their minds half the time. They're all on a high every day. All of the men seem to be taking the chat. And they're allowing the children, which is upsetting, to take the chat. The chat is a leaf, a normal leaf, but when you taste it, it tastes like chalk and it's bitter. But it gives them this natural high. It uh, also gives them strength and keeps their energy levels high. 600 kilometres southwest of the waterhole in Ilidiratu is the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. And it's here that you can really see the competition between coffee and chat. Those guys there on the side of the street, what, what are they doing? What are they? Uh, uh, tune chat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and, and what's that about? It's chat is, uh, it's, it's look like a leaf uh, growing in Ethiopia. Um, maybe most of the people what tune are, chat in Ethiopia. Yeah. And they do it to stay awake and to feel good? Yeah, to, uh, to stay awake and feel good. And, and do you think chat is, is it a problem for people or? Yeah, big problem, big problem, yeah. Because uh, most of the youngsters, and uh, they just, uh, because they don't get work opportunities, so they just uh, sitting on the street and just uh, sitting with house, in the house, so they just chewing a chat, they kill their time, you know? Yeah. And has that been for many years, or is it more, more recent? It's more recent, it's uh, uh, within uh, three, four years, I think. Yeah, three, four years, yeah. yeah. Because somebody was telling me that a lot of the coffee farmers, because they can't get good money for the coffee, yeah. they've started growing chat because they get better money. Yeah, because now it's become famous, you know, because uh, uh, coffee also famous, but now, you know, uh, people are using to chewing a job a lot so you can get you can get money you know from that so the farmers prefer that I think yeah because they need the money you know yeah my guide in Addis Ababa is Elizabeth she's young college educated the face of modern Ethiopia uh, we are uh, we are in the Mercato in the biggest market in Africa it's in Addis Ababa, in the capital city. You can get everything in the Mercato. Everything that you want. E- uh, example, clothes, shoes, uh, spices, and every material, 
construction materials and everything, everything that you want is in the Mercado. Uh, the farmers came here to sell some, uh, like something like spices and other uh, coffee or something like that. They came, yeah. We're in the Mercado to buy coffee for a traditional Ethiopian coffee ceremony. I'm looking for the coffee grown in Ilidaratu, which is known as Harar. Uh, finally, we reach a coffee shop. It's a bean. It's not roasted, it's not grounded, it's just a bean. Then we finally we will go home, then we will roast it and ground it and break the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Ethiopia is the home of coffee. It's here that the first cup of coffee was made, the historical origin of a billion-dollar global business. The way that coffee is prepared here has changed very little over the centuries. It's labour-intensive, and the word ceremony describes it well. It is very much a part of the cultural life of Ethiopia. I saw my parents and others, they make it using, you know, manually. So I'll, I'll make it like that because I like it. That's part of the culture or part of the tradition. Yeah. Now I'm burning a charcoal. And tell me, how, how exactly are you going to roast it then? Do you put it in on top of the charcoal or or you roast it on the pan? On the pan. On a the pan. pan there. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I'll just describe it. It's in a, a round earthenware um, cooker that's sitting on the ground on an aluminium plate and inside in that is a basket with hot charcoal and sitting on the basket of charcoal is like a very small frying pan with some holes in the bottom that's letting the air through the hot air from the charcoal and the smoke from the charcoal and that's turning the beans from a fresh green nicely roasted brown and it's releasing a smell of the beans at the same time. Elizabeth is fanning the charcoal to get more heat from it. And at what age do you start drinking coffee in Ethiopia? Would you um, drink it when you're very young? Uh, yeah, uh, it depends um, on the family, you know, but um, I started eating maybe I was 11 or 12, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is enough. Yeah. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of exercise. I think now the coffee is ready. It's strong coffee, yeah? Mm. The following morning, I'm at the Ethiopian Commodity Exchange on the coffee trading floor. This is where the Ethiopian government is trying to take the profiteering out of the coffee business and pass on more of the price you and I pay for our cappuccinos and our lattes to the people who produce it. Okay, I'm Eleni Zodega Bramatin. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Ethiopian Commodity Exchange. Yeah, we're standing here on the edge of the ECX trading floor. 
So right now we're looking at uh, the coffee session about to start. So the traders are in the floor. We've got the buyers and sellers and I'm about to go ring the bell. Irish taxpayers, through Irish aid, have contributed hard cash towards setting up this exchange. And while it's not perfect, it seems to be achieving its goal of getting a better price for farmers. So yeah, we just rang the bell. Uh, traders, uh, trading has started. Uh, looks like a pretty active session. There are about uh, 60 people here, I'd say, uh, all bidding for the coffee. We started in April 2008, uh, so we're about to head into our, we're about to finish our second year. Uh, we started coffee training about a year ago, last December actually. Uh, and at that time, we started pretty much selling commercial-grade coffee, which is, you know, sort of the, the bulk of the market. Uh, and then uh, towards the end of the year, uh, started to develop a specialty uh, a, a tracking or trading system. Specialty coffee is obviously a smaller part of the, of the market, but it's a very important uh, segment of the market because these are coffees that receive a premium in the market for various attributes, whether it's high quality in the cup, so, you know, at the, in the cupping, uh, they receive a very high grade, or they're special because of the way they've been produced. So if they're organic or rainforest certified or uh, bird friendly or a number of different things that the consumer might be interested in, particularly consumers that really want to know, you know whether the farm communities are getting rewarded uh, adequately and, and getting uh, you know, a fair price and all that. So, so that's what the specialty system that we've created is basically a way to reward farmers for these wonderful coffees that are produced and that without a transparent system, they might be selling these coffees that later fetch a very high premium at the consumer uh, level, but yet that premium never gets back to the farmer. So our system is trying to bring that value back to the farmer. Before the exchange, there was a coffee auction. You know, uh, whenever you do something uh, different, then there's going to be people that will lose because they were benefiting from the way things were. So although the auction was the only place to buy and sell, there were some entrenched relationships and ways of doing things in the old system. But I think uh, because of the much more transparent platform that we've created, uh, we can track prices. It's all open outcry bidding. Everybody's looking at each other. Sellers have a, have a way to have a chance now to declare their price rather than a one-sided auction where only the buyers did the bidding, which was the case before. So all of these things mean that it's spelling a new way of doing business. I think for sellers, whether they're farmers or traders who buy from farmers, um, this system has really leveled the playing field and, and given them a lot more um, power or, let's say, bargaining position. One of the problems I've heard, particularly about the price that farmers get, is that it tends to be quite low, and as a result of that, many farmers are getting out of growing coffee and starting to grow, for instance, chat. Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, if you look uh, across different countries, I think over the years studies have shown that Ethiopia's producer price share of the final you know, export price, you know, the farmer's really only getting 30% compared to something like 70% in other producing countries. Our target here at ECX with the new system that we've created is that farmers should get 85% of the returns. And so that's what we're working on, is creating a system that empowers farmers, rewards them for trans for their quality, is transparent, freely accessible to everyone, and really gets that high return back to the farmer. Now, I also believe that a particular Irishman was one of the people to ring the bell quite recently. Yes, we had uh, a very nice Irishman by the name of Bob Geldof, who came to visit the exchange about a month ago. 
Uh, he rang the bell and he wouldn't stop ringing it. So <laughs> it started to feel like a rock concert. <laughs> Before I return to the village to see the progress of the water project, I have one more call to make. I'm meeting the project manager, Wubshet Brahanu. He's the man that Plan Ireland asked to help out on the ground. Now, the borehole itself is quite a distance from uh, Ilidirartu. It's about eight kilometres, is that right? That's true. It's, it's far from the place where the people live simply because it's not just easy to dig uh, wherever you want, where people live and then get water. Uh, you have to go to a place where uh, there is a, maybe a natural flow underground 100, maybe 200 metres below, uh, and, and then get the water and, and take it to the place where people should use it. So are, are you confident that the, the project will, will be finished? If money is available for the project, definitely it could be finished in six months' time. And once it is finished, definitely the people really do care for the uh, water scheme and it will be in use for a foreseeable future, definitely. Okay, and tell me the, the difference that will make to the people in the village. It's immense, I would say. Uh, really, as, as uh, everywhere we say, li- water is life. Uh, animals need water, uh, people need water, plants need water, and so on. So uh, it's, uh, uh, the land is dry, uh, there is no water, uh, no springs nearby, and so on. So um, uh, definitely this would bring a lot of um, uh, benefits to uh, the community and specifically to, um, uh, to ladies, to young girls. Uh, they have to, I mean, uh, young children the age of seven, eight are supposed to fetch water, especially the girls. They may, maybe, they may be kept from school just because of uh, lack of uh, uh, proper access to water. Water is literally everything. So the water project has turned out to be bigger than anyone realised. A well has been sunk, but the pipework, reservoirs, pump hoses and generators are still not completed, and the cost involved has grown. Back at the borehole, there's lots of activity when the Irish group arrives. What, what we have here is the first building that we've come across. It is. It looks, the, the way they're building it is medieval, but uh, the foundations are down for a brick house. And the brick house will, will have a security guard, a 24-hour security guard, all armed, and they also will have the generator here. So across from that, about uh, 20 yards, is, and you can hear, you can see them mixing cement, that is going to be the pump station. And what we have is the borehole is there, and it's capped, it's down 180 metres, and uh, in about 15 days' time they hope to have the generator in. It's, it's, it's ordered, and everything finished, and we will have water uh, pumping out of that, but it's, I mean, it must be three to five kilometres away from the village. So we're going to follow, and let's take you through this way. We're going to follow the line that is directly towards the village of Iliadratu, from fortress through jungle, and they had to buy the land. And the only way they could do this project, which we didn't know about, was Plan Ireland worked with Tedesi on it, was to buy the land for $1,000. 
they also made a mistake by not paying the farmer on time so it delayed it and then they had to do a deal privately with I'd say maybe 18 other farmers on the way up and that's only to buy them to get them four kilometers that's the plan to build a reservoir so it's uh, everything we assume in Ireland happens it doesn't happen here everybody wants their piece of um, reward for laying a pipe under the ground which don't, doesn't eventually you know they can replant the area so um, it was a couple of surprises that the project we thought was finished um, but you know we wouldn't have got this stage we wouldn't have certainly have got this this stage uh, without plan and, and Tedeschi keeping an eye on it and there's a super project manager based in, in Addis so we're going to keep walking up through the line of sight and we'll meet Tedeschi he's going to meet us up at the top here Get up and get him to talk a bit. As we leave the waterhole, we're approached by a local farmer. Mohammed, my, my name is David. David. And okay. um, I need to ask you your story. Okay. You, you, okay. you tell me what happens here. Okay, today we are uh, only the pupil and also the baby and also the woman. It is today very happy. Yeah, you're very happy. It's very happy due to the water. Yeah. In this, in this area, the part, our our land is very fertile, yeah. but no rain, no the water. Okay. Today is more happy and happy due to the gate of the water. We've just come through there. You can see Tedesi's going to show us the pipe. Tedesi, t- yeah. tell us about what's going on. Uh, this is a pipe to the water point, uh, which goes to the reservoir. Okay, the farmer who owned the land, would he be able to replant over this? No, he can't. He won't, it. okay, he so I got that wrong. That's the reason why they didn't dug this one. Yeah. Because a person who owns this chart has asked for compensation. Okay. So we are going to compensate him with about maybe 20, 25 roots of chart. What we're doing is we're coming through the jungle, and I believe we've just walked through a graveyard, and I'm just looking at the size of the grave. It's a graveyard. They look like uh, very small children died here, and they've put in just all their stones. And they put in six stones, one for the head, one for the feet, and two side by side. But it's very small. Uh, children obviously died here, are buried. We're now going through another chaff field. We're heading up, still climbing. And the soil, it's in tears, so there's no erosion. It's pretty easy to walk through the chaff. And I know, from a coffee point of view, as against the chaff, the coffee plant takes five years to grow. And after five years, you get one pound of cherry, which is the cherry, the fruit. And out of that, you'll get about 60% or 70% of it is actually coffee beans, because there's two to a cherry. The chat, uh, it grows, they get three times the price, but it needs little little water, and it needs little care, and it's very easy to harvest. They just pull that, pluck the leaves, like plucking tea. But if you do, as compared to coffee, you have to turn the berries so you don't take off the, the twig that actually will grow the flower the following year. Tedesi, can I just ask, what's happening here with the girls? I'm going, I'm selling chat. And how much is the chat? She's going to sell this one for two birds each. Two birds each. But are women, are women culturally allowed to take chat? It's the first woman I've ever seen take chat. Old ladies. Old, old, old ladies. Old ladies. What, what age is this lady? Umringa Mega. I'm a 
Can I say uh, that I get upset when I see the children taking the chat in front of the adults? Is there any... Do they not see the damage it's doing to the kids? Yes, it's true that there's a damage. Yeah. It is their culture. It's culture. Even, yeah, 20, 25 years back while I was here, yeah. there are some rich kids who are taking chats, just like in Europe. Yeah. Some are smoking yeah, drugs. cigarettes. Yeah. Cigarettes or drugs. Okay. It's really sad. And, and just to, the, the, the chat is an amphetamine, and their mouths are green, their teeth go completely green, they lose their teeth, their gums are gone, and they don't go to the toilet, um, or they do go to the toilet, but they do it all over themselves, and the smell of the human beings is absolutely horrendous. And, you know, they just seem to be useless, and the men are doing all of this all afternoon, everywhere we go, and they seem to relax, and all the women are doing... I mean, one of the girls beside us, back, back at the, just, just back at 100 yards, was going five hours round trip to collect water and the guys looked at us, Pat and Bobby were looking at the water and the water was either black or brown they couldn't distinguish between the colour of it mm -hmm. so it just shows the benefit of this water project to, to, to the village we're now going to see the reservoir and a couple of things that Tedesi told us about the people that um, they don't wash they may maybe once a year they might have a shower or some kind of bath in the, in the uh, local river which is five miles away but Compared to us, we seem to want water all the time. We sweat. And he basically said we smell. And we do have showers every day. But he said it in a lovely way. So the reason we're out of breath is we're up at, uh, we're probably up at 1,900 metres. And it's very hard. It's probably impossible to run. But we're going up a very steep bank. And this is the reason the reservoir is here is because we can pump it, or they can pump it, from two kilometres away. To this reservoir which is going to be higher than the altitude of Iliadoratu and then they'll be able to pump it down when they come up with the money or we help them come up with the money because of the next stage of the project and our misunderstanding of how far it was from the village so we're being followed by some of the most fabulous kids one has a football and the other girls beautiful girls the most whitest teeth and clear eyes and well-dressed beautiful children and they are so excited to see some visitors and we're heading into the bush and it is a real bush now what we've come to is it's like a meteor hit a, a side of a mountain it's the most fantastically uh, just built a, a hole in the ground it looks pretty symmetrical and what they're, I don't know how they're going to seal it we, we'll have to ask Tedesi Tedesi can I, can I ask how they seal the, uh, the reservoir to stop the seepage of water coming out what they are going to do is the reservoir is going to be built from uh, stones, cement, and the blocks. And then it will be all mended. Okay, covered. So covered, covered. The so no sun. The, no sun, it will be covered up. From the village, I assume, it's the water goes up that way. How far will, yeah. will, will you have to take the pipes? I think we are left with um, 5.8 kilometres. 5.8 kilometres, okay. And has anybody any idea of the cost <coughs> of pumping that up from there? You obviously need a pumping station here. This is a reservoir. From yeah. here, they are going to pump to the view. Okay. To 5.8 kilometers. That um, means we have to invest in another pumping station. Yes. Yeah.
There is no doubting the genuine intentions of everyone involved in the water project for Ili Duratu. And with a little more money and effort, the problem of water here will be solved. In turn, that will solve so many other problems, from basic survival to children going to school more often. And hopefully, the short-term value of growing chat might well lose its appeal. It's our last night in the village and time for a campfire. And when the Africans and the Irish are involved, the inevitable sing-song breaks out. A little bit away from the main campfire is another group, all young men, all chewing chat. When we chew chat, yes, we are happy, funny, whatever we, we can before we can't do. When we chew a chat, we can't to do, to, to, to do whatever it is. One cup of coffee in Ireland okay. <laughs> costs Cost 60 bur. 60 bur. 60 bur. One cup. One cup of coffee. 16. Four dollars. One six or six zero. Zero. Six zero. Six zero. I'm not getting much sense out of these lads. And the irony is, these are the very people who are needed to ensure the long-term survival of coffee and the benefits it can bring to the people of Illiteratu. I think we've done a wonderful job for a community of 10,000 people. They're not finished with the water project. They want the water closer to the village. And I think I'm relieved in a lot of senses that it has come to um, some sense of... of um, a successful project for the village, but the next stage is the village elders have asked us to support a further project of getting the water into the village because the village has expanded uh, dramatically since I've, I've, I've been here three and a half years ago. But overall, um, absolutely exhausted. We're camping out tonight in around a fireplace with the most beautiful people in the world. And we're looking up at the stars and a full moon and it is incredible to see that we have um, you know, a few promises made by a, be- a few Irish... Um, coffee people are related to the coffee business and, and, and uh, I think we've fulfilled a little, a little promise. I think we've done a good job in, in reflection of, of tonight and what I saw of how the community have benefited from um, real fresh water which just it comes so natural to us just turning on the tap at home. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.